This is Paladina, Paladina Major that is, a satellite station, a division of Anchor Radio. And we are orbiting around an urban legend. The name of this tale is The Sun is Bright. He soaked up the last bit of his soup with the day-old bread the diner served him. His girl was bitching in his ear again. Charleston thought to himself, I have to make this chick happy somehow. And the next big hit, the next big score, was just around the corner. And he felt that it was his for the taking. He felt it down in his bones. The diner was in the old part of town. The part of town, like people like him and his girl went, where people like them went, who were broken, poor, and destitute, where they went to live or to die, or to go have a drink, or to stop at a diner and have a meet. A small little town in the middle of nowhere, a town that doesn't have any name, a place that everyone knew everyone else to a certain degree. You know, a town that maybe you might live in or have lived in. Mm-hmm. A quiet town with a big secret. She honked in his ear, beep, beep. His girl Mona, always beeping about something. Like an old Cadillac needing an oil change. She rattled on. She was a lovely old gal. Dark brown skin, round face, thin waist with a round enough ass to match. Jet black bushy hair to the middle of her back. A dark natural beauty. And she knew it. The thing was, she wanted things she knew she could not have. Things she knew she should never have. But she wanted them anyway, and she expected for Charleston to get them for her. They were young, and they were in love. It was his fault, Charleston's, you know. He made her that way, Mona, and he knew it. See, they both knew who they were in a beautiful, most poetic, yet tragic sort of way. They loved each other, a love that most people will never understand and probably shouldn't ever want to. Charleston was a reasonably handsome gent. His white skin was slightly tanned He stood tall with a bald head, a proud chin that a man who wanted to conquer the world would have. 
the world that he owed to Mona, and he wanted badly to give it to her. They knew each other since the orphanage. They knew each other before they even knew themselves. They knew that one without the other, they could not exist. Honey, you promised me a house, a car, and Mona listed off the offenses Charleston gypped her out of. He did promise them to her, didn't he? Putting that last bit of bread in his mouth, Charleston overheard a conversation that was none of his business. It was nobody's business. Not even the devil's. The diner's owner and the mailman was in a heated discussion over a funeral of an acquaintance that the both of them had. Charleston listened to the two old goats going on about a secret a secret that should have stayed hidden, for that is what secrets are made of. Hidden matters. Secrets made of the horrid things that mock you and terrify you in your dreams. Secrets in a small town in the middle of nowhere. And the two lovers, they listened to the secret. And they listened to the secret. And they listened to the secret. The diner's keeper was ranting on about, well, about a a lady. Well, barely a lady, a 19-year-old girl, actually. A Miss Shine a Bonaparte. She had just lost another relative that was helping her out around that big old house she lived in. It was a series of deaths that, well, seemed tragic for poor, for poor little Shine and her relatives. So they died day after yesterday, the mailman blurped out. This guy was always filled with gas, especially after eating chili from the diner. Yeah, man. She was expecting some distant relative to come up from the funeral. You know, for the funeral. But apparently they didn't show up. Didn't even bother to call or anything. And the diner's owner said as he wiped down the counter over and over again the same spot, shaking his head in pity for the girl, The mailman burped in after covering his mouth and picking out the bit of food that came up with it and said, weird that is, you know. Another family death, all those in-house funerals, and that money and that wealth hidden in that old house. Oh, well, the caretaker just shaked his head back and forth while he was wiping in the same spot over and over again. You know, we told her she better get that cash and that gold over to the bank. But she just said her money was safe right where it was at. Anyway, she in that house is creepy if you ask me. And you know, the two old friends nodded in agreement. And they both looked over at Mona. 
as she hung over Charleston, exposing her breasts as she often liked to do. Charleston listened to the honking of Mona in his ear, reminding him of what she promised him. And in the other ear, Charleston listened to the whispers of how a Miss Shine Bonaparte didn't keep her money or valuables in the bank like proper people did, and that she liked and lived alone and was waiting for someone, anyone, to come to her house for the funeral of her beloved. And since her cousins could not make it, she placed an out, an out and out SOS, an ad for companionship. Whoever showed up would get a delicious meal and a free night stay at the mansion, plus a little something for their time and effort. They would sit in on the funeral. was the break he was looking for. He wrote down the address after getting enough information from the two men in the diner that would lead him and honking Mona to what Shine had and that eventually it was going to be his. Well, theirs and all of it. For two days, they had gone over their plan fighting over what should be done to obtain the wealth. Even if murder to get it was the result. They were delirious with greed. They arrived at Shine's house wearing new clothes to look presentable. The last money they had, they spent. They spent it to help pull this all off. Charleston and Mona stood amazed at the house. It was fabulous. It almost looked like a castle, except smaller and without a moat. Flowers aligned each side of the driveway leading up to the house. It had golden gnomes that also lined both sides of the driveway. They looked so lifelike and sad. Yet, they were beautiful and artistic, masterfully pieced together. Whomever created them knew exactly what they were doing. Damn, that gold looks authentic, Charleston said in astonishment to Mona. Shine was indeed having a funeral for her dead helper, all right. Romalia Bonaparte was her aunt. Romalia was sent to look after Shine last year. It was a wonder how she managed that task since the woman looked to be 100 years old. In fact, all the relatives that came to care for Shine was old in age. But nonetheless, time after time, year after year, old family members would come to that house and they died. Then a funeral and another elder came soon after. She had funerals for all her family members at the house that passed on who cared for her. Mona was anxious, and she pounded on the door just a little. 
But what a shock they received when Shine opened the door and Mona and Charleston had the revelation that poor little Shine was blind. Charleston's lips curled at the corners when he saw that she was blind. And Mona watched his soul leave his body at that moment and thought to herself, he looked like the Grinch who stole Christmas. But she didn't realize that her soul was leaving her body also because she didn't run away from all this when she had the chance to. Her body went cold with dread. Shine was small, about 5'2". Her oval face had a large, framed, jeweled-out pair of sunshades on her button nose. A blinged-out, bright, brilliant gold chain that held a medallion of a saint hung from her neck. Both wrists were covered with diamonds and gems that wrapped around the bracelets almost up to her elbow. Rings on every finger seemed to weigh her down. She smiled with a profound gesture of meekness and vulnerability. Shine was a cute little thing. Her hair was an array of yellow and soft light browns that hung softly around her shoulders. Her skin was whiter than white. That's because she was, a, and she was, an albino. An albino that had freckles that covered her tiny nose and cheeks. So when she peeked out at them, she stayed in the shadow of the doorway as not to get burned by the sun. We are here for the funeral, Charleston said, proudly. Mona started to speak a little, but she was hushed by a swift and light smack to her cheek by Charleston. And for the first time in her life, she saw malice in his eyes, and it frightened her. Why, of course, why, of course, I thought, you was never going to get here. And we are just getting started, Shine motioned for them to go inside the grand house. And they followed as she closed the door behind them. They followed Shine into the house. The smell of roasted chicken and burning candles met them when they entered the house. The sun was going down. It was getting a bit cooler. The day had been so hot. This was a welcomed feeling, this coolness. Charleston looked at Mona. Mona looked at the door behind them, and she started to back towards it, almost in a slight gait. She honked her way towards it. Charleston grabbed her by the arm and yanked her close to him and told her, whispering, if you mess this up for us, we're finished. Amola rolled her eyes at him, and when Shine turned to go into the room, she followed them, where the service and the services were going to be held. There in the middle of the room was a coffin. Around the dimly lit room were chairs. They were arranged around the golden coffin. 
sign motion to them and at the chairs. And they each sat next to each other. Shine stood beside the coffin and she started to speak. Uncle Oscar, she said, how are you doing? Don't worry, it will be over soon. It won't be that long. I know, I know you're hungry. Shine said various things to different family members seated in the chairs. The strange thing, and you will agree, was the chairs were completely empty. No one was there except the three of them. Shine, Charleston, and Mona. This girl's a Lulu, Mona said, whisping a lock of ebony hair out of her eyes and whispering to Charleston. And he hushed her up in a hurry and muttered something about going upstairs and get what was his and getting it now. How greedy of him, right? He couldn't even wait. Charleston made an excuse to leave the room. And he wasted no time. He started to rummage through the dresser drawers and desks in a hallway upstairs. Mona was feeling sick and scared and sat in her chair stiff like a rock. Charleston jumped out of his skin in front of the smelly stinker when Shine asked him from behind, did he get lost? The bathroom is down the hall to the left, she said. And she told him if that is where or what you were looking for. He closed the closet door he was going through and nodded his head. Yes. But then he remembered while he was saying yes, that she was blind. And how could, how could, she could not see him. Yes, of course, I got lost, he said. Uh, 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 on my way to the bathroom. And as he proceeded down the hallway to the bathroom, he thought to himself, tonight I will get that treasure of hers. He also thought, how did she get up the stairs and right behind me that fast without seeing? Mona decided to drag herself off of her chair and peek into the coffin. To her horror, that also was completely empty. She screamed a honky honk that vibrated throughout the house. She thought she saw the chair that Uncle Oscar was supposed to be sitting in move. But there was no one there. Charleston entered the funeral room at about the same time that Shine did. How is that possible? He thought, how could, how could, how could that have been possible? I could have swore I left that blind, polka-dotted midget upstairs. Charleston knew something strange was going on. The lust for the riches in the house played a grand sympathy in it, a symphony a grand symphony in his mind. What's the matter, Shine said, her voice, her voice almost chirp-like. 
What's the matter? Yeah, what's going on, Charleston? Chimed in, sounding more annoyed with Mona than worried. I thought, Mona said, no, I saw someone moving over there by the window. Mona managed to honk out. She looked ashen, and that was a solemn feat for Mona with her dark skin and all. She was terrified. In a giggly sing-song sort of way, Shine assured the funeral guests that sometimes the shadows played on people's minds and the shadows of the old house was just an illusion. That's all. Nothing to worry about. Oh my goodness, Mona. Get a hold of yourself, Charleston muttered at her in a tone one used with a child. He treated her like one. A child that needed looking after. Still, they stayed there in that house and waited. Waited for what they thought they deserved. They both took their seats again in front of the coffin. Shine started the process of reading from what looked like an old Bible. They were words neither of the guests had ever heard in the Bible. Coming from an orphanage that drilled God and the Bible into the children, Charleston and Mona knew something was way off. Still, they stayed. Mona, listen, I saw a safe in one of the rooms upstairs. I know that's where the money is, he said, in a triumphant voice. Mona looked at him like he had just shitted herself. She was disgusted and scared of it all. She whispered this to him. She wanted to leave. She didn't. The smell of roasted chicken kept her seated. She had not eaten since the diner almost two days ago. If she did have to leave, she was growing with a full belly. Oh, vision of light, come into my family life tree. Restore the years taken away by decay and death. Relinquish the living force that my ancestors' birthright demands. Complete the cycle once again. In gratitude we pray. It was this type of concerto that went on for about an hour. For about an hour or two. From Shine. We pray. Should I pray I find that loot? Charleston smacks his lips at Mona, whose belly grumbled as the gases ate away at her intestines. Shine was busy chatting up with individual cousins, Kathy, about how it wasn't her turn yet. Mona wanted to know what that meant instead of asking Shine just that. She got up and followed her nose towards the smell of that chicken. And she hoped that it was chicken. Charleston headed back upstairs to the safe he saw earlier. He thought about all they could buy with the money. A house, a car to start with, and all the food Mona could eat. Flashback to the days at the orphanage brought sorrow and pain to him. The bowls of oatmeal and half glasses of milk. 
although the oatmeal was, was good, it just never, it just never was enough to fill the body. And it was like a tease. But when he saw Mona for the first time, ah, uh, it was happiness for him. And that filled him. He had never saw a kid with such dark and beautiful skin. She glowed like a light bulb that never dimmed. This was the drive that forced Charleston to do what he did. He went for the safe. Mona found the source of her craving, the kitchen. Over on top of the stove, there was that delicious chicken. And when she removed the top of the baking pan, she realized it wasn't chicken at all. She could not make out what it was. Over on the table was a plate already set up. She ate that food with an animal hunger. It was good. She was so hungry. And in the shadows, you could hear the whispers. Told you she would eat. They all do. <laughs> Mona spun around to see Shine standing in the kitchen doorway. Right beside her was a figure she could not make out who it was. Yes, Uncle Oscar said. She did eat. And at that moment, Mona felt a pain in her gut. Poison! The food was poison! Honking! The food was poison! Mona was hysterical. No, not really, Shine said in defense of her potluck surprise. Mona started to feel heavy and light at the same time. How did you know what I was thinking, Mona gasped licking her finger and down the lemonade that was set on the table with the oh-so-good meal. Oh, dear, you look tired. Maybe you should go to your room for a bit of a rest. It's late, and in the morning, you, in the morning your reward for coming to the funeral will be waiting for you. <laughs> yes, rest. That's what she needs to do, rest. She would sleep a little and be ready for when Charleston come for her, like he always did. That's what Mona thought to herself. Rest. Yes, rest. While in the magnificent room the house offered the couple, Mona snuggled into the huge bed. She noticed a smell she loved more than roasted chicken, or whatever that was she had eaten. It was a warm and familiar aroma. Mona, Mona laughed at herself when she lingered in that memory. It was a memory of them in the orphanage, and the boys would like to push the girls into the ground. And if they did not play the game, and Mona never wanted to play the game with the boys, the game was nothing more than plain old sexual molestation. Some, so rightly so that Mona met the ground out in the yard over and over again because she would not comply. She would not play. Almost every day of her life, there until Charleston stepped in as her savior, Mona was pushed to the ground. This memory brought back those days of the source of the strange but comforting smell. The smell of fresh, soft earth. She slept. 
Meanwhile, Charleston was trying to pry open the safe with a butcher knife. It's not going to open like that, Shine bellowed at Charleston, who spun around holding a gun with a pearl handle in his hand as the knife fell to the floor. Look, you blind, freckled freak, I will shoot you in the face if you do not come over here and open this safe right now. Charleston was frantic and tired. Tired of all the letdowns that made up his life. Tired of all the people who walked over him in his dreams. And tired. But not this time, he promised himself. Not this time. Shine let out a scream that could wake the dead. Then she laughed for a minute. The longest minute ever. It was like an eternity to Charleston. If you shoot me in the face, how will you get that safe open? No, my pitiful thief in the night. You will go and eat your fill in the kitchen and go into the bedchamber with your lovely and sleep until morning. Then I will give you what is truly yours. That was the deal. That is the proxy. Shine said this in less than a scared or worried voice. She turned towards someone in the shadows and said, yes, come dawn, all will be as it should be in the morning. Charleston defeated his hunger, shrugged his shoulders of disgust, put the, per- put the pearly gun into his pants pocket and thought he could not let Mona down again. So, he then went into the kitchen and ate the plate of food that was on the table prepared for him. He staggered up the stairs and went into the room offered them, undressed and slid into the bed next to Mona. She was asleep. He could hear the sweet little honks that made up her breathing. At this time, he could think of nothing more than to make love to her now. She still had on her clothing a simple yet elegant black cocktail dress. He removed her dress and caressed her breasts and turned her over. She still slept, didn't even wake when he kissed her lips. He spread her legs and took off her panties and the movement of his body shook the bread frames. It rocked the entire house. And when he was finished and he spent himself inside of her, She opened her eyes, and they were solid white. And Charleston was proud of himself. And her pupils had no colors in them. They were solid white. And like I said, Charleston was proud of himself. With the thought, I made her roll her eyes upwards into her sockets. He smiled the whole time, scanning her face, and thought, wow, She does have the most beautiful golden head of hair, and those freckles around her nose are... Charleston hollered a wail from hell. This was not Mona. It was Shine. Charleston shot up from his side of the bed and grabbed for his firearm. He bumped a leg, and he heard a moan coming from the black, bushy-haired wonder laying next to him. It was a dream. A damn dream. That's all it was? Mona still had on her bra and her panties. And he still had on his clothes. 
minus his suit jacket and shirt. He placed the gun under his pillow and went, and went to sleep. He began to fall asleep, thinking his big come up was waiting for him in the morning. When the sun was bright and brilliant in the morning, both Charleston and Mona began to wake. It sure is hot, Mona said, but she did not hear her voice, nor couldn't she move her head or arms or any of her extremities. Charleston also felt strange and could not throw his legs over the side of the bed to stand up. Why is it so hot? So hot. So hot. It's hot because you are on the lawn, my golden beauties. For a split second, the duo was able to shift their heads long enough to focus and look at their surroundings. Mortified, they both let out screams that no one could hear. You could see the couple was on the lawn of the yard in front of the house. They were in the driveway next to the gnomes lining that driveway up to the house. After that split second, the spell was complete. Out of the house, walking out towards Shine and the golden gnomes was a young man and a young woman, both of them albinos, like Shine. You look brave and handsome, Uncle Oscar. I forgot how tall you are. How exquisitely small your waist is, Aunt Romelia. I am just too jealous, Shine chuckled. And they all chuckled, and they smirked at the addition that lined the driveway. Charleston and Mona heard them make fun of how easy it was to take their bodies. They needed them for the transformation ritual. The two old dried up people that are members of the Bonaparte clan had fresh young bodies now. Fresh young bodies. <laughs> the three of them stood in front of the golden statues and laughed and laughed and echoing cackle. The laughter turned into humming and then it turned into a song. A song that the words made no sense to the unlucky pair. Slowly the singing became dimmer and fainter than nothing. They could hear nothing at all. The sun is bright, was the last thought Charleston and Mona and his lovely Mona had. The doorbell rang and Shine peeped out, squinting from the high noon sun to see the mailman standing in the front of her. Well, good day, Bradbury. How are you today? Did the cook book I ordered come in the mail today? She bustled with excitement. No, not today, honey. But there is junk mail and a letter for you. The mailman reached into his sack and handed over a small pile to the happy young lady. Oh, by the way, Chad over at the funeral home said you might soon be in need of another coffin. The mailman looked up the driveway, squinted, and said, Are those two new? Pointing at the golden gnomes in the driveway. Yes, sir, Shine said proudly. Got them about six months ago. Aren't they fabulous? My collection just keeps growing, she said in a sheepish tone. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry for any inconvenience, Miss Bonaparte. But you owe for the last coffin you shipped back home to your relatives. 
I wouldn't bother you, but the mailman, you know, shifted uneasily on his feet when Shine smiled and said, Oh, man, I forgot about that. Just a minute. She disappeared into the shadows of the house. She returned and opened up an exquisitely looking handbag filled with cash. Okay, let's see. Just to be sure everything is paid in full, take these $2,000 and keep the change. She stuffed them. She stuck the bills in his hand. Miss Shine, you really should think about putting all that money in the bank. It's not safe having all that cash around. Someone could try and rob you, you know? There's a lot of crazy people and weirdos, you know, people in the world, you know, especially since you live alone, he said, as he wiped his brow from the bright rays of the sun. Oh, Bradbury, don't worry about that. My money is safe right where it's right where it is. Right where it is. And she went on with some small talk for a bit, chatting about everything and nothing. Then she said in a sly but proud manner, No worries. I have an old cousin coming to stay with me for a while. And that, my friends, is the story of two star-crossed lovers, Charleston and Mona, out to get a quick fix of life and got a quick fix of death. And as always, this is Paladina, Paladina Major that is, a satellite station. And this was Urban Legends.